Want to start your own podcast? Anchor makes it super easy. Here's what you need to know about Anchor. Most importantly, it's free. Second, there are tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor distributes your podcast to numerous platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a quality podcast all in one place. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or visit anchor.fm to get started. Valaya Walabi is co-founder and CEO of Show Radiance, which was founded in 2008 on the premise that women need to care for themselves and each other. Show Radiance crafts artisanal skincare and hair care products that are all natural with the purest small batch women's sourced shea butter from West Africa as a primary ingredient. Shea Radiance promotes the power of community and the empowerment for women around the globe. For more about the Shea Radiance story, please visit SheaRadiance.com. Hello everyone, welcome to our first show. And in true fashion, we are starting off with our first guest, the indomitable Funleo Labi, who is the inspiration for this podcast. Because Lydia and I, we know how to take instructions well. When Funleo told us we should start this podcast, we're like, well, I guess we better start this podcast. And so we're here and we feel that it is only right that she be the very first guest to kick us off. Absolutely. So it is our pleasure to introduce Funleo Alavi of Shea Radiance. Friend, comrade, mentor, inspiration. Um, so glad to have you. Michelle and Lydia, it is an honor to be here with you this evening. And I am so excited to be on this podcast. I'm actually really excited that this podcast exists because from the times we spend grabbing coffee and crying into our um, kombuchas. <laughs> we, they, I mean, from our discussions, I could really tell that there was a need for us to have a platform to tell our stories and put our experiences out in the world. So thank you for doing this. Thank you for being the inspiration. Absolutely. So we, we talked a little bit about this coffee shop experience and there's the impetus, but Really what, what happened and I think what is uh, driving our podcast and our efforts in this space is just the frustration that I that we felt that came through our discussions around a person in your supply chain that was having sort of funding and finance challenges. And so with that as the backdrop and our little WhatsApp a message of inspiration and courage to to Francesco Poku, who our listeners will hear from as well. Can you kind of set the scene around your personal journey? Because I think there have obviously been some high highs and 
low lows and I think just hearing your story and what has brought you to this work will be yeah, insightful. So um, if I go back to the very beginning, um, when my second son was born, he had very dry eczema prone skin. My older son had dry skin and my husband and I have really dry skin. But when Tolua was a baby, his eczema was so bad, uh, we had to take him to the pediatrician and we got um, steroids prescribed. And even though they worked, we didn't feel that was a sustainable way of taking care of your child. And so we started thinking back to some of the traditional remedies we grew up with in Nigeria. And I remember as a small child, my grandmother would chase me around her house with a, a tub of shea butter mixed with camphor or whatever else she threw into that thing. You smell like old clothes. You smell like old clothes. Smell like an old suitcase or portmanteau. Right. <laughs> and Looking like a shiny penny. A shiny you know? penny smelling like an old lady's closet. But that stuff she rubbed not only cleared your nose and made your skin glow, but it also took care of, you know, a myriad of other skincare ailments that you had. And so we're like, we're going to do this to our children, too. <laughs> and so we had asked my mother, who, used to, who visited us on a fairly regular basis, to bring us some raw shea butter from Nigeria. She did. We used it on Tolua's skin, Femi's skin. We used it on our skin. And the transformation was just incredible. And um, we, my husband and I felt like we had found the solution, the holy grail to dry, troubled skin. We realized that it was shea butter. And um, we started mixing potions in our kitchen. And we would add essential oils and we will read up about different things that were good for dry skin. And we'd put a drop there and a little bit of it there. And after a while, we started taking our solutions out into the market. And we would go to our local farmer's markets. Um, I'm from the Baltimore area, and I would go to markets close to D.C. and in Baltimore. And I'd set up a table and um, tell the story about shea. And so we took our shea butter solutions to our local farmer's market. I was so excited, really, about how well these products work that I wanted to share it with the whole world. So took it to the farmer's market, set up a table, and we started to sell. And this was a little over 10 years ago before shea butter had become like a household name. And a lot of people would come to the table and I would, you know, slather their hands in shea butter and explain where it came from and the impacts it had on women's lives. And people started paying us for the product. And um, that's how the business got started. So really, it was all about trying to find a solution to our family's dry skin problems and then being able to take that solution out to the market and then finding out that people were willing to pay. And we realized that we had something really valuable to offer. And that's how the Shea Radiance brand was born. Fantastic. I, you know, I think when I think about the Shea Radiance, product and the brand, I, I think about uh, the lives that you've impacted, the lives that you continue to impact. You know, you've backpacked and bootstrapped your way around West Africa. You've had lunch with Warren Buffett. You've done it all. And I think that uh, that comes from sort of having a clear vision of, of what you want for your business. So 
you know, what has entrepreneurship taught you? And what would you have liked to have known before you sort of started this journey? Because I think, you know, obviously there are just all of the things that you learn along the way. But what would have been really helpful at the beginning? Oh my gosh. <clears throat> I don't think anyone can really prepare you for the journey. But I think one thing, one lesson everyone can take is to know that entrepreneurship is a marathon mm. and not a sprint. There's just no... I don't think there's a shortcut. I think that depending on maybe your family background and the access you may have to other entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs in your family, in your network, that might shorten the learning curve. But for the most part, I'm just talking to your average woman entrepreneur, maybe someone like me who um, didn't have... Um, very strong role models who were successful business owners in my industry. Um, it's taken me a while to figure out a lot of things in entrepreneurship. I know that one of the things that keeps me going is really passion. And I wake up every day excited about what I do. Um, when I first started this business, it, it was a myriad of things that kind of brought me to the point of starting the Shea Radiance brand. And one of them was going to the body shop back in the, I guess, 80s or 90s and just being inspired by what Anita Roddick had done, the kind of environment she had created in that shop. You had really nice natural beauty products. And back then, I don't think it's the same anymore, you would see pictures of all the indigenous places where she had sourced the ingredients. Mm -hmm. And every time I would walk into that store, I would be so inspired you know, from the cocoa coming from Colombia and the shea butter from West Africa. But I would also feel really upset that someone else was telling my story. Mm. And I would feel that um, the story of shea and all the amazing resources that come out of Africa, that those stories belong to us to tell because we were the ones who were being chased around by grandma rubbing shea butter and camphor on our chest. You know, we were the ones who, you know, the lady who put the plaits in your hair used virgin coconut oil mixed with heaven knows what else and put your head between her legs as she pulled your hair into braids. That we had a lot of these stories to tell about. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if any of you... Yes, all the listeners having flashbacks to their <laughs> childhood in Jamaican, it wasn't all that different. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, so we had all these stories, but I just didn't hear them out there. And so part of my passion as an entrepreneur was to bring my unique voice, my unique experiences, my unique interactions with the product, and wanting to share that with the world in a way I didn't think anyone else in the marketplace was doing. And so that was kind of my beginning phases, my beginning phase in um, my entrepreneurship journey. So Kuleo, you've started the business, things are going okay, you've developed some traction. Now it's time for you to say, okay, what's next? Where do I go from here? How do I scale and grow? What are some of the challenges that you've had around scaling and growing and finding capital to facilitate that scale and growth? 
Michelle, that's a really great question because like most entrepreneurs, you get into business to do what you love. And when we started our business, what we loved was um, creating great products, whipping up shea butter, coming up with just amazing ideas of products we could put into the market. That's our superpower. It's something we do really well. What they don't tell you as an entrepreneur is that what you're passionate about bringing to birth and taking to the market is just hmm, maybe 20% of the equation of what it takes to be successful in business. Because that idea, that concept, that product you've created needs to be supported by a whole wheelhouse of skills, one of which is marketing and branding, and then most importantly, finding the funds. Um, for me, from the very beginning, um, Shea Radiance was never going to be a hobby. I have the vision that Shea Radiance will be a household name, will be a global, be a global beauty brand that stands for empowering women, helping women feel their very best because we are giving them great products that help them, you know, feel good so that they can focus. In the skin that they're in. In the skin that they're in so that they can focus on doing other things. I mean, we're all women, and you know that when your skin looks great, your hair is great, you don't think when about you, yourself. When you look good, you feel good, and vice versa. Exactly, and you act good, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, when everything is aligned, you think less about yourself. I think about when, you know, hair, skin, glowing, you know, I'm eating well and everything, I think less about myself, and I'm able to focus outward and change my world. And so that's kind of part of, the, the, the emotion that goes into the Shea Radiance brand is to give you products that help you feel that way. But that's not enough, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have to fund the dream. And one of the things we were really naive about when our business got started is that, I mean, we looked at you know, our projections and we're like, our margins are great. We should be able to fund our business off the margins. But what we didn't realize especially when we started getting into retail and the way the whole consumer product good industry works in the U.S., working with a broker, working with a distributor, their funding cycles um, completely took away the illusion of having margins. And what do I mean by that? I mean that um, you as a manufacturer have to float your supply chain from your suppliers in West Africa, because we were sourcing directly from women-run co-ops, and we know that in West Africa, a lot of the co-ops don't necessarily have the infrastructure or the support to buy the nuts and do the processing. So in the early years, we were sending thousands of dollars back to communities, um, hiring people on the ground to put things together, buying the equipment, just putting in a lot of our own cash into supporting the women in the base of our supply chain. And then doors started opening for us in the United States. We got the opportunity to be in Target. Um, They were very interested in our natural hair care products. And we're like, this is an answer to prayer. We're scaling. Yay, we're going to do this. And we could actually see a a pathway, you know, to making our first half million, a million and beyond. But what we didn't realize was that we were completely overextended and that when you get your products into a distributorship, you may not get paid for 30 to 60 days for the products you've delivered. 
And when you're vertically integrated, working with a disenfranchised supply chain, you're also having to support them so they can give you what you need. And so that's where we ran into trouble. We were bootstrapping. We hadn't identified financial sources. The ones we identified, like our local banks, didn't understand how our business worked. They thought it was risky. They were not willing to give us loans. We had tapped into our 401k. We had tapped into our friend and family circle, you know, because, you know, we, we needed a whole lot of inventory um, to launch in Target. And by the time we finally launched Shea Radiance into Target, we were spent and we're like, okay, we've got all the products there at the right time. Um, let's start selling and making our money back. And we had a hard time. Mm-hmm. Because, Tell us about that. Yeah. Yes. So in addition to getting into the store, you need like a buffer, a time where the store gets a chance to put all your products in the right place where people can find you. You need to be spending money promoting and letting people know that you're in the store. So you mean a financial buffer? A financial buffer for all the things that can go wrong when they're putting you on the shelf. These are things you don't really know about till you're in it. So you might technically have launched in August, but in some situations, your products might not be literally on all the shelves for another three or four months. These things happen. It's logistical stuff. It can't be helped. When you're a small business, you don't have that margin of capital to survive when things are not working properly. Mm -hmm. And so very quickly, we started feeling that uh, we were losing control of our business. We were sending people to the stores and people were saying, you know, we can't find your product. And by the time the product was finally on the shelves and we had to do promotions, the promotions also eat into your margins. So every time you run a promotion in a big box store, you have the honor of paying for it. So if Shea Radiance products, if we're doing a promo of a dollar per unit, that's a dollar less that you're getting. That I'm getting. And very quickly, those numbers can add up and you can end up owing your distributor a lot of money. The other thing that a lot of people don't know about working with large retailers is that um, if things don't work out, um, they will send your product back to you. And not at cost to you. At cost to you. So let's say you sent in $100,000 worth of product to the store and they don't feel your brand is doing well. They will send you $100,000 worth of product back plus whatever handling costs, which could be anywhere up to 39%. So you could end up owing $139. Um, for not being successful. I'm sorry, $139,000. Because if it was $139,000, I'd be like, here, Flynn. Yes, you would have been able to help me. We could crowdfund that. We could crowdfund that. But those are some of the things that happen in big box retail. And the reason it can be very damaging to a small business is most of us aspire to be in these spaces. But these spaces, at least... Back when we ventured in, were not designed for small businesses. They were designed for the Jurgens, the Procter and Gambles, you know, the large brands that have the bandwidth to survive all the logistical nightmares that can happen in retail. And I think only recently 
are a lot of these large retailers paying attention to the fact that a lot of indie brands are not surviving and that they are being somewhat irresponsible by bringing us in and watching us, you know, crash and burn. Right. So you mentioned the need to have a buffer when yeah. going into some of these large um, distribution ports. Would you be able to put a number on that buffer for um, aspiring entrepreneurs trying to get into some of these larger stores? Like how much money, how much buffer money would you need to feel secure in case it doesn't work out? I would say a six figures, definitely. High, mid, low? I would say if you're going into the big box stores, I would say upwards of 150000 For a beauty brand. For a so, beauty brand. Right. At least 150000 just to get you through the first year and get kind of settled in and then established. 150 is probably on the low side, but I think that maybe a quarter million might be more um, realistic so that you can exhale. So when things aren't going that well, um, you have enough resources to kind of weather. Because ultimately, if we had stayed in Target, if we had had the wherewithal to stay in Target, we would have been successful because the products were good. And they were delivering results. But it takes more than having great products to survive uh, being in a big box store. You really need not only the capital, but you also need people on your team who understand the retail landscape, who can tell you that, you know, maybe you're 18 months away from being ready for to be in 800 stores. Why don't you slow your roll and get into some smaller regional stores? You, you just need access to mentorship in addition to capital because you can burn through capital if you don't have good advisors around you Um, and so those are the two things I would say entrepreneurs need capital and then good mentors who are in the industry and who understand the landscape right so just to circle back to that quarter of a million that you mentioned Mm -hmm. so that would be sort of paying for the um, that buffer amount is essentially paying for your marketing mm-hmm. paying for the actual shelf space i mean you don't you don't pay the store but invariably you're paying for placement is that correct or it depends it depends it depends so different retailers do different things now if for some retailers like the walmarts and i think target and even giant if you're a minority owned business they will, um, you don't have to pay what they call slotting fees, and that's paying for the shelf space. But some stores want you to do what is called free fill. That means for every store they put you in, you have to provide, I don't know, a case, six units of free product. So if you get put into a thousand stores, and let's say you have three flavors of shea butter, you are going to be giving up um, a sizable, amount, a sizable of amount of free product. And that's... What's that free product used for? They sell it, and that just means... Oh, it's free to them, but they sell it. Yes. So for the stores, that's what, 100% profit because it was free? Interesting. Yes. I would have never known that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yes. So you have to factor that into um, your costs um, for, right. for marketing and promotion and... Um, actually having the privilege of being able to play with the big boys. 
And so, you know, as you sort of think about, you know, these big box realities, because I think so many people, you know, especially, um, you know, businesses on the continent or indie brands are always just thinking about if I can get that one big box, you know, uh, supplier, if I can be a supplier to one of these big boxes, big box chains, my, you know, my worries are over. How, can you talk a little bit about your sort of the relationships that you think have worked well? Because what you're saying is that there's not only the stresses of what you need to come in up front as the buffer, you also need to be thinking about the buffer you need for your supply chain. So can you talk about maybe some of the big box chains or uh, partnerships or collaborations that you think understand that reality well and, and, and maybe you're sort of helping indie or small uh, brands grow, um, scale? Yeah. So just like you said, um, when we found out that we were going to be going into Target, and this was back in 2012, so it's been a while, we were very excited. And like every brand, we're like, God has heard our prayers. This is the big breakthrough. We knew we didn't have a lot of bandwidth. And so the business we had built right up to that point, which was almost maybe close to a quarter million at that point, um, we literally ignored. (laughs) and said, Target, here we come. Because we didn't have the capacity to handle everything. And we figured that, you know, we take care of Target, we get established there, we get lots of traction, and we'll come back and take care of everyone else. And that was a huge mistake. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. So take care of your small businesses. I would say before reaching um, into the large retail, if I had to do it over again, I would definitely work on my digital. And that's something I still am figuring out. Making sure that you have strong online sales because the margins are great and the customers are yours and you can speak to them directly. Make sure you have your online, make sure you have your Amazon, make sure you have that cooking. The next thing um, in terms of being on a retail shelf, because at the end of the day, if you're selling a product, being on a ret- in a retail store is very validating. I mean, I know that there are a lot of online businesses who are crushing it and have no retail presence, and that's fine. But there is something to say when people can like physically go into the store and see your product and interact with it. It's kind of confirming. It's yeah. confirming that, you know, here this I am. a real product. If I order it, this is what I will get. Right? Yes, or that this store had enough confidence to put this product on their shelf. And what we have found over the years that one of our strongest partners have been Whole Foods Market. And the way Whole Foods has supported us as a small brand was actually from day one, where I went in and talked with a local buyer and they brought us into the store. And as the products I doing well, I started like physically taking my shea butter products from store to store and talking to the buyers and putting the product on their hand and just kind of sharing our story with them and connecting with the buyer. And the buyer's like, you know, okay, I have a little room here. I'll put you in there. That whole relationship led us to being, um, uh, I I guess we're a major or minor player in the mid-Atlantic region. You can find all our products, well, nine of our products in all the Whole Foods stores in the mid-Atlantic And then after we got into all the mid-Atlantic stores, we had the opportunity to go to the Northeast stores 
and we've been very successful with our brand there. And what I love about Whole Foods is that they give you the opportunity to connect with your customers. They actually encourage you coming into the stores to do demos. And doing demos in the Whole Foods stores taught me more about my brand and how customers are interacting with the brand and what they like and what they don't like. And that has helped us in our product development. It has helped people get... You get the face-to-face product review. Yes, exactly. And then people see you. I mean, these stores, because it's in the Mid-Atlantic, is in my neighborhood. My neighborhood Columbia store has a picture of me hanging down. (laughs) One of my neighbors (laughs) sent it to me the other day. I love that small hometown, you know, everybody's rooting for you kind of uh, feel that Whole Foods has given us. And so I would say for a lot of small businesses, find that local store that is willing to support you. In addition to Whole Foods, we have like moms and roots and they just really believe in us and our neighbors know who we are. And so I think the importance of having an organic growth like really focus on growing in your own hometown. It's easy to be a hometown favorite and then you can build your platform from there. When we got into Target, and I know Target has changed the business model when it comes to working with indie brands. We were in stores in Alaska. Who in Alaska uses ethnic hair products? Not to say they don't need it. I'm sure there are a few... But not I enough to sustain. <laughs> you know, no, they do. They do. Yeah, they do. But they it, probably need it more than because it's cold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's but you know, I mean, that cold weather. Yeah, but how do you, you know, as a business, you have to think about if I had X number of where dollars to, margins? yeah, not only margins. Where do I, where do I market? If I can only afford to market in the mid-Atlantic region, and most of my customers are here, that's money well spent. Mm-hmm. How am I going to reach someone in Alaska? So that whole, the whole idea about being very focused and, you know, the Bible says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. I think for us, we were so excited about rapid growth and just crushing it, you know, two years after I quit my job, like target and boom to the moon. That wasn't going to, that wasn't the plan God had for us. We had to, um, survive target literally almost lose our business and go bankrupt we didn't go bankrupt thankfully but there were many days of sardines and jasmine rice (laughs) 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 and beans (laughs) that you know we had to go through in order to kind of get out of that hole and restart the business again and be okay with starting small and being um getting organic growth so this is actually a great segue into talking about resilience. Mm. How do you bounce back from disappointment? Because Target didn't quite go the way you thought it would. Mm-hmm. How do you regroup from that sort of disappointing, not, not necessarily a loss, but your expectations? There's loss too. There's loss. There's, there's um, financial loss, mm-hmm. <laughs> which there was plenty of. But lots of expectation of what you thought was going to happen. How do you deal with that? Where does that resilience come from to then say, okay, we're going to regroup and we're going to still stay in the game? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I would say a lot of the resilience comes from the fact that when everything is actually stripped down, that 
one of the reasons that we are in business is to have impact. And we realized at the moment of our like lowest points that we were in business for reasons bigger than ourselves. And that during the time we were backpacking through Ghana and Mali, and um, Lydia has been on, with me on several of these trips. She's definitely one to travel with. We've had lots of fun. That every time we would go to the community and look into the faces of the women who we promised to buy shea butter from, that we were looking into the faces of our aunts and our sisters and very hardworking women that were very reliant on the trade that we could do with them. Even though it wasn't a huge amount, that amount meant something. Um, we also realized that our customers loved us and that if we weren't in business, there would be a gap. And um, so we realized that we needed to regroup and that uh, we needed to reprioritize and that we needed to humble ourselves after all the rah, 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 you know, we're going into the store, big party and everything, and just put on our big girl panties and, and, and start all over again. So it, it just, you know, figuring out your why and um, focusing on that as you move forward and also realizing that as an immigrant, as a woman, as people of color, we have to make our own way that sometimes the the roadmap for us is going to be a little bit different um but but that's okay right. it's okay you have to be okay with that that things might seem a little slower but we're going to get there yeah. so i really want i mean just wanting to circle back or at least drill down drill down on uh, something that you said around you know the map looking a little bit different mm -hmm. for us so one of the questions I have is, what do, what do you still find frustrating around finance and funding? You know, you walk into rooms and you do your pitch and you, you know, whether it's angel investors or, or whether it's, you know, uh, mechanisms that are designed to, to, you know, provide funding for small business. What is it that still frustrates you? Gosh, Quite a few things, but I think one of the biggest things is that I will go in and pitch, and people will think that's such a cute idea, and that's really sweet, and you're doing a really great thing, but they don't really want to allow themselves to see the business model, that we actually have a sustainable business model working with women-run entrepreneurs in West Africa, and that we're delivering a valuable service here in the U.S., and for some reason, I don't know if it's bias or they haven't seen enough people like us show up and pitch, they, um, I hear people say things like, you know, it's not tech, we don't get it. Mm -hmm. And I know this doesn't just happen for me. I know that, you know, a couple of times I've watched Shark Tank and seen enterprises with people of color pitching to the sharks, and they also have that blank look like they don't, they don't want to get it. Like the, the lights on, but no one's home. No one's home. And I think the cost of women-run enterprises not being fully capitalized is that we're actually depriving the market of some really amazing brands, amazing solutions, amazing services and products that people really need or don't even realize they need till they actually manifest. Mm. 
So there is a net loss for society as a whole when our businesses are not getting funded. And I think that's one of the things that are most frustrated. People are funding things they already know. It's like, you know, it's the, the you know, more of the same thing. If you can define it's the Airbnb of this. It's the, right. you know, it's just, you know, the same old thing. But yeah, that is really frustrating. Yeah, I, I can only imagine that, that that must be even more confounding mm -hmm. when you have a supply chain partner. So pivoting just slightly, you know, you've had a relationship with your supply chain partners for decades now. Yes. Um, and one of those supply chain partners is Francesco Popu from Beauty Secrets. Mm -hmm. And what, you know, what I find so amazing is that, you know, you're two women with just your own beauty brands. Mm -hmm. um, you know, living on two separate continents. She lives in Ghana, you live here. Um, and, but you're one supply chain. Mm -hmm. You know, you've been on the cover of, you know, or in Forbes and Inc. magazine talking about your story. Francesca is pitched all over the world mm -hmm. and taught, um, uh, you know, around Shea products and, and everything. And yet you guys find this beautiful way to collaborate and to partner. Can you talk a little bit about a relationship that is somewhat of a sisterhood now, but is also sort of a viable, profitable, meaningful relationship and, and, and what that means for your business? I tell you what, um, you know, I, I said earlier that what success looks like for many of us you know, women of color from the immigrant community is going to be completely different from the norm. And the kind of partnership that I have with partners like Francesca is just a testament to that fact that we've figured out how to make things work. And everything is based on a true love and respect for what each of us brings to the table. And we leverage that. And one of the phrases that came up at one of our teas um, and I think Michelle threw this out there, was um, collaborate to compete. Exactly. And basically, Francesca and I met at a conference in Mali, and we became fast friends. I just loved her aesthetic, you know, her love for things of, 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 of beauty. She comes from a, a marketing background. She had her corporate job in, in Accra and decided to take this crazy plunge into entrepreneurship. And we just found that we had just a very similar desire to bring beautiful things into the market. And I admired what she did. She admired what I did. When she came to the States visiting, you know, we got together in my kitchen. We taught her some of the tricks of the trade in terms of formulation. When I would go back to her factory in Accra, we would learn different things. And there was a time she and I were here in the States and we were walking through Whole Foods. And I was like, Francesca, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could work on products together and our products would be in this store and imagine the impact it would have for your business and my business. And, um, today, um, the, the black soaps that she custom makes specially for Shea Radiance are in all the Whole Foods stores in the Mid-Atlantic and the Northeast region. The way we work, it's not a typical business re, um, relationship that is transactional. And I found out that what works for me as an entrepreneur, especially since I partner with other women run enterprises in West Africa, 
it's totally based on relationship. It's the kind of relationship that sometimes you get a shipment and maybe something is off. I don't feel I have a recourse to sue or make a big fuss. We just talk about how can we do this better, right. you know, and um, how can we, how can I make sure you have the financial resources that you need? And which is one of the reasons we actually have tea and coffee together. And we're talking with you and Michelle, like, do you know anyone who can finance um, Francesca? Because if she gets financing, it makes my life easier because that means I have access to the products that I need for my stores without tying up my own capital. So the whole supply chain, we're so, we're inviting in more women to give us the support we need so we can continue to grow our businesses. Yeah. You guys are in it for the long haul. We yeah. definitely yeah, are. It's not just a short-term gratification, of, but the milestone of that. It's, it's, it, 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 it's a relationship. Yeah. So that being said, how do you define the term collaborate to compete if you were to put a definition on it? I mean, you and you and your relationship with Francesca definitely exemplifies it. Mm -hmm. How would you define it for other people to understand it? Hmm. I would say collaboration, especially for women and women of color, is leveraging all our strengths. So as an ex example... Leveraging all our strengths so that we can compete, and not necessarily with each other, but with the market that is out there. Mm. You know, the, the woman doing shea butter right next to me is not my real competition. It's really what the larger brands can do if they come into our space and try and duplicate what we're doing. And so one of the ways that this ethos has kind of helped me and even opened up my eyes to more opportunities to create collaborations is that I started another company called Dara Beauty Labs. And the whole concept of Dara Beauty Labs is to help women entrepreneurs who are in the beauty space create their own products so they can go do the hard work of branding, marketing, looking for retailers, you know, doing their digital marketing stuff. So in some ways, we might actually be sitting next to each other on a whole food shelf, but she is succeeding. There's more of us on the shelf. We're being recognized as a force to be reckoned with. And because we have the experience and we have made all the mistakes when it comes to product formulation and we've nailed down some really great formulas, we can make this available to her. So that's one less worry she has. And she has a better, a better opportunity of succeeding because she's not spending all her time in the kitchen or in the lab trying to develop products on her own. So that's one of the ways we collaborate. We support other women-run businesses so they can go out there, take their place, and help us all be successful. I love the idea that there's enough space in the market for everyone. Absolutely. You know, when you think about the multi-billion dollar industry that is health and beauty... And then, you know, the multi-million dollar, which is like natural hair care and beauty. There's just so many areas and avenues and entry points. Absolutely. And so this idea that, you know, these crabs in a barrel mentality, like people need to get away from that. And actually people outside of our community need to get away from it. I know that we were talking to a retailer um, last year and they were interested in bringing us in, but they said, oh, we already have one shape of a brand on the shelf. And I was like, 
first of all, is the name of the shea butter brand you have shea radiance? Uh, he was like, no. I was like, so you think your customers only need one type of product on the shelf? I started giving him examples of the five toothpastes and the 24 deodorants. I'm like, why do women or women of color only, why do you yeah, feel that there yeah. is only one needed? I said, the more brands you bring in that, the more brands you bring in, the more customers you're going to bring into the store. Because now they feel like you are serving their needs. They're serving their needs, and their needs are so different. You can't just make the decision that you can only bring in one Shea Butter brand. Yeah. And I don't know why that is the mindset when it comes to products for people of color. It's like you can only have two or one. Right. Lydia and I were just having this conversation around makeup, right? Mm. Just fashion fair. Or Flory Roberts. For for black people and that we, you know, could never find the right shades and everybody looked like they were in their caskets. Yes. Until, like, only quite recently that there are enough shades to fit every color in the rainbow. Exactly. And people and... There's money to be made. Great, because they are meeting the needs of an audience that have been waiting, waiting to be served. Right. And I mean, I, you know, it's the same with hosiery. It's the same with shapewear. It's it's the same with, you know, nude. Shoes, the, yeah. The term nude being this, you know, just Pink. this very, you know, like very narrow area that, that I think... Again, we just need to be thinking about choice and about abundance. Abundance. I think that's the key. There's so much room for so many of us because our expressions are so different. And even even if we were selling the same product, um, the mere fact that you, Lydia, are putting it in front of a customer and I'm putting it in front of a customer, they're going to come for us for different reasons. And I think the brands that are going to be truly successful are those who are able to articulate what makes them different. You know, what makes you, you. The more of me that I bring into the Shea Radiance brand, the easier it is for my customers to find me. And that's that's my work. Well, that is a beautiful segue because you are an amazing person. You have always been such a tour de force um, in this space, in advocating for women, advocating for the shade community. And so where can people find you? You can find us at Whole Foods. <laughs> Mid- experience. In the Mid-Atlantic, in the and North. And you might see Faleo in the flesh. Yes. Where you might find me in the flesh doing a demo, slathering shea butter on everyone's hands. Um, you will find us in your giant food stores in the Mid-Atlantic in August. You can typically find us in most independent natural stores in the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast region. Such as? Give us some examples. Moms. Moms Organic. Moms Organic. Yes, Markets, Roots, and many more. If you go to our website, oh, you can also go to my website and buy directly. I have more products on my website than I do in the stores. What's your website? Shayradiance.com. Please like us on Facebook and on Instagram at Shayradiance. You can also find us on Amazon. Okay. So support us. And um, I will say you have the. You will not regret it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And you have one of the best Instagrams 
I in a long time. Like when I can't when I can't speak to you, I don't know where you are. I just look at Instagram and see where you are. My personal or the business. And I'm just there. So tell is. us where to find you on your personal Instagram. Oh, my account. personal Instagram is Funlayo Alabi. And I'll spell that for those who are not Nigerian. It's F-U-N-L-A-Y-O Alabi A-L-A-B-I. Yes. Usually even my 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 siblings, if they want to know where I am, go on my Instagram or Facebook <laughs> to figure out <laughs> what I'm up to. Where in the world is this woman? She's so. really inspirational. She's like, you know doing classes and kickboxing and all types of things and yeah i'm jealous <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for what is an amazing uh, journey and your amazing story and you know this but you're an inspiration to so many of us so please keep going can't wait to see the amazing things that shay radiance and you do in the years to come so thanks so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. This has been great. Thanks, Anaya. Bye. That was an amazing, amazing interview. But the thing that I took away from that interview that I would like to highlight is the concept of collaborate to compete. Because I think it is tremendously important in terms of creating a sense of community, even in competition. And that competition doesn't always have to be cutthroat. Like, for me to win, you have to lose. And I think what Funleo has displayed in her relationship with uh, Francesca Poku, who she mentioned and who will be the guest in episode two, is the very epitome of collaborating to compete. And also what she is doing with the launch of her new company, Dara, Indeed. which is really creating a platform and an ecosystem for collaborative competition. And so I don't know if you want to elaborate a little bit more about that. The Shea Radiance brand has been so, you know, organic and they're a husband and wife team that have, you know, cared about their family, cared about their community and sourced products from that ecosystem. And through Dara, they're doing the same thing, but they're also thinking about other businesses and other products that I just think amplify the space as it relates to natural hair and beauty. One of the other things that I thought was just so important about um, talking to Fanayo was just her sort of call to action around putting the faces of the people that investors um, finance and fund and putting a name and a face to all of the people and looking at it more holistically and thinking, okay, as I look at these sea of faces, who don't I see? Who isn't there? And I think that that's, there's something very sort of magical about the insights that that will bring in terms of who is getting funding and whose um, businesses are valued because, you know, as we, we're hearing, the statistics are, are rather stark as, as to who's getting funding, especially in the VC and tool space. So I think that was just a really important sort of call to action there. Well, thank you for joining us and come back to check out new episodes released every two weeks on Wednesdays. If you like this content, go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button and stream or download your favorite episodes. 
And don't forget to leave a rating and review to get the podcast in front of more listeners. Thank you for listening.